is a from our midst. Would you like to come up and can we just really give a really warm welcome to Anna Button as she's going to speak to us out of one of the deep passions of her own heart, um, of her heart, which is um, in this area of trafficking of people in the world today. Anna. Well, good morning, everybody. Hey, um, while I get myself all settled up here, I just wondered if you'd take a couple of seconds and think to yourself, or if you absolutely must talk, talk to the person beside you, um, and answer the following question. Who is the most beautiful person that you know? <laughs> Alrighty, so as I speak today... Um, I want you to have the people that you have just thought of at the forefront of your mind. Um, but as many of you will know, I come from a fleet of beautiful sisters, and um, all of whom are wonderful women. Um, I'm one very, very blessed lady, but I thought I would show you all a photo of Abby and Marlon's wedding day over Easter. Um, as you can, I know, I make you... I think this photo was taken when Marlon had just told Abby that he'd plucked his eyebrows the night before. <laughs> um, um, but what I, I love about Abby um, is her creative and her colourful spirit, which you can just tell by her wedding dress, um, and her very um, lioness spirit, her very protective spirit, her very loyal spirit, um, and her very, very generous heart. And to our family, she is invaluable and absolutely priceless to us. Um, and I, I, um, I know that we all know people who are truly beautiful and meaningful to us, just like Abby is to me and to our family. And the reality is, is that each of us also are beautiful. And as we all should know, we're all beautiful and important and valued to God. Um, but what I want to share today is about the dark reality that exists in our planet, um, that the human race has actually put a monetary value on human life. Um, and that beautiful, precious people, just like Abby, and just like me, and all of those that you have thought of, and all of us, are currently being tricked and moved um, and sold into slavery. Some of you may be under the impression um, that William Wilberforce abolished slavery a couple of hundred years ago, and that actually it isn't much of a thing anymore. But by golly, it's a good thing you were here this morning, um, because there are more people in slavery now than at any other time in our global history. Um, and that the average price that each of those people have been sold into slavery for is 90 US dollars. Um, and it is this very modern issue of human trafficking and slavery that John has asked me to talk about as we um, continue on through Missions Month and we talk about, you know, what is our church's role in addressing these global issues? Um, and John is right. This issue, it stirs my spirit. I fully expect that I will cry multiple times today. Um, but it stirs my spirit because it is, it is territory the devil is taking. Um, and it's territory that I just so believe our church and our global church is called to address and to take back. Um, so let's delve in. Um, and I thought I'd give you a bit of an overview of what exactly human trafficking is and what human slavery is. So in a nutshell, um, human trafficking is the movement of people into a situation where they are enslaved for the sake of sale or profit. 
So essentially a human trafficker will go into areas, um, will trick and deceive vulnerable people um, with lies, um, as Robin already, you know, beautifully kind of set the bridge in terms of, you know, promising jobs. So they will go and they will deceive and they will move people across borders and they will sell those people um, for profit and sell them into slavery. Um, and it is this movement and sale of people that is now the second largest criminal industry in the world, second only to drugs, and that it is worth, as an industry, to those that are involved in it, it is worth 150 billion US dollars a year to human traffickers. And these people that are getting tricked and moved and deceived and sold are entering situations of, that look um, where they have no choice. You know, we all woke up this morning with choice about what to do today. Thanks for coming. Um, but we all woke up free. We all woke up with choices and freedom. These are people who woke up this morning um, with no choice and no freedom at all. Um, and it looks different for everyone. But the key things are, you know, they, they may have been sold into marriage. Um, children may have been sold into forced labor. Um, women may have been sold into sexual slavery. So it looks different for everyone. But the, the moral is, is that this is what it is as an issue. This is what it looks like. It is the movement and the sale of people, and it is exceptionally profitable, and it is exceptionally prevalent as well. Um, so, moving on, Glenn. Um, why is this happening? Um, it is such a complex issue, and I cannot delve into the depths of it all in 30 minutes. Um, but we have to consider... Um, when trying to understand it, what are the push and pull factors and what is driving the growth of this behaviour? So for human traffickers, those who are essentially pulling people out of their homes and selling people, the major factor that is motivating them is money. Um, and as I've said, the sale of people is the world's fastest growing criminal industry. And the reason for that is, is that while you can only sell drugs once, um, which is the biggest industry, um, criminal industry for income, while you can only sell drugs once, you can earn money off a human repeatedly. Um, so you sell drugs, at the point of sale, you get that income. If you can sell, if you have a woman in sexual slavery, you can essentially earn money off her every hour, every day. Um, and so she continues to make money for you as a sustainable income source. And so if you don't have a conscience and, and you're a criminal and you are after money, it is exceptionally lucrative for you to be involved in this. Um, and then in terms of, yeah, so humans are very lucrative. They are assets that continue to earn money for those that are involved. And also pulling this issue and driving its growth, uh, growth are very, very complex social issues. Um, so for example... Um, one of the unforeseen um, consequences of China's one-child policy is that they now have a severe excess of men. Um, and so research shows that by 2030, um, estimates guess that by 2030 there will be 30 million more men in China of marital age than women. And the reason for this is that when you have only one child and you're in a culture that prioritizes and esteems boys, they all wanted to have a boy for their first child. And so they've aborted millions and millions of women or girls, and now they've got this massive, massive shortage. And in China, they really prioritize and esteem marriage and children. 
And so now, to fill that void, um, they are, there is a market, essentially. There is demand for women in China. Um, and human traffickers are exploiting that and moving in on that and seeking to travel to countries around China um, and to go into vulnerable areas and to trick Vietnamese and Thai girls and bring them into China to sell them as brides, um, of which is happening a lot. Um, so that's one, that's one social issue which is creating the demand that human traffickers are essentially seeking to meet. Um, another, another complex social issue um, is that there is demand for, for prostitution and brothels. Um, and so we have situations where men from the West are traveling to Asia um, for the purposes of sex. And I have heard stories um, of men who, um, who travel specifically to have sex with minors, with children, um, because it's illegal, obviously, in their countries, um, but they can get away with it, and there's a supply of them in Asia. And so we are seeing men from the likes of the US who um, have these preferences um, traveling to Asia um, and finding children that are available um, and paying for sex with them. Um, so these are all these kind of complex social issues, and I've just told you two of them. So many complex social issues which are creating the demand um, and encouraging human traffickers to pull girls out of their home environments um, and to sell them. Um, considering push factors. Um, so you may be thinking, yeah, okay, this, this all makes sense. I understand this, Anna. Um, but how on earth are they convincing these people to go with them? Like, do they not know? Um, but essentially, the... the oh, the push factors that are kind of creating the environment where this is doing very, very well is that people are poor. People are poor. They're in poverty. Um, and so human traffickers, they are not going to rich, well-developed countries um, to find these women. They're going into rural, um, underdeveloped countries um, where, they're, where they're poor. <laughs> I, I can't say any more bluntly than that, that... They don't, they're in um, countries where there's no social welfare, there's no such thing as public health care. Um, and so if you don't work, you don't eat. It's actually that simple, but unemployment is prevalent. And so in these situations where there is strong poverty and they are poor and they are desperate, um, they essentially, that is those the areas where human traffickers are heading and they promise and they offer hope. So in these communities where the poverty is severe and they are desperate for breakthrough or for income, that is where the human traffickers are heading and that is where parents and girls are kind of being pushed into these situations. Okay? Do we understand the, the pull and the push factors? You're all looking at me very like... <laughs> all right. Um, so traffickers provide hope. It's false hope. Um, but hope to those who are desperate. And consequently, they leap and they push their loved ones into opportunities being offered for good jobs in major cities. Right, so how is it happening? Um, I've already touched on this, um, but it's really, really important to me. One of the things that just absolutely just, oh, yeah, you really get angry is Anna. And his angry face is when people, um, they're kind of like, well, do they kind of deserve it because they fall for it? 
which is a very naive approach, but we love them in Christ. Um, but it is a real, it is a real, like for me, it is really important that you understand, that you understand that they're not naive and they're not silly and they don't deserve it. It's their situation that they're getting exploited from and that they're actually getting preyed on by human traffickers. Um, and so I thought I would show you some um, examples, some recent examples that have been in the media um, that illustrate that not only are they targeting vulnerable people, but that human traffickers have exceptionally well-established systems. They have corrupt officials on the border. They have, you know, the ways of the movement are just in time. They are efficient and good at what they are doing. Um, and so here are a couple of examples from, that have been on stuff. Um, so the one on the left, Indian trafficking ring uses fake rugby tours to lure boys to France. And so what essentially happened here was um, some human traffickers dressed themselves up as football coaches and they went to a school in India and they essentially, they ran um, football training camps. Um, they designed um, football contracts, um, which they got their parents to sign. And they told the boys that they had been selected for football camps in Europe. And you have to understand that if you are a boy in India with all of the social issues that are there, um, that, that what an opportunity that that is. How attractive and exciting would that have been? And these traffickers, I mean, the links they went to, they drew up football documents. Um, and essentially, so and the parents paid. Um, and yet they moved 22 boys from this Indian um, school um, on the promise of football scholarships, and they took them to Europe, and I think they only heard from one of them ever again. Um, this other one, the story on the right, this was actually um, in the media just two weeks ago. Um, some of you may have seen this. Um, we're in Pakistan, um, Christians are the minority. Um, and what is happening is uh, to fill the demand for brides in China, human traffickers are going to Pakistan and they're driving around churches, um, and they're working with ministers and pastors who are helping the human traffickers. Um, and they are essentially targeting families and telling the families that they have Christian Chinese men who will marry them in China. Um, now, in Pakistan, like I've said, Christians are the minority, um, but girls, um, in terms of a family dynamic, families have to pay a very significant dowry for girls and brides um, to the groom. And so when human traffickers come and they say, we've got Christian, great Christian men in China who are willing to marry your daughter and they'll pay for all the costs, parents are thinking, and they've got the support from their pastors who are encouraging them to do it. <laughs> and they're living in areas where the sewage is outside their house. They're thinking, oh my gosh, how amazing is this? Okay, so these are the kinds of situations that we are seeing. Human traffickers are clever. Criminals are actually exceptionally clever. They just use their intellect for not very nice things. Um, but they are. Criminals are clever. They are intelligent. Um, they have corrupt people on all the levels, and they are going to these lengths to trick people. Um, next one, Glenn. Um, so where is it happening? Uh, 
It's a global issue, okay? It is happening where you probably, uh, it's happening everywhere, um, but in some areas where you uh, may not necessarily expect. Um, so, random question for the, for the audience. Does someone want to take a guess as to what the most popular um, sporting event is where sex trafficking spikes? No, not the Olympics. Ah, perfect, okay. So, now, while we can never know, we will never ever know the exact numbers because you just can't quantify it. But they reckon that sex, so human traffickers will just absolutely make moves and start really trafficking girls um, for the Super Bowl. That is the most, they reckon, the biggest sporting event um, where hundreds and hundreds of girls um, will be moved into the host city um, because obviously foreigners flock and they're all in search of a good time um, and there is demand for it. And so the Super Bowl, um, sex trafficking around that is quite prominent, as it is for all major sporting events. Um, the FIFA World Cup is another one. Um, in Russia, I encourage you, if you're interested in this, sorry to do this to you, Steve, but think about this next time you watch the soccer. If you, well, football. Um, um, it, 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 like, um, in terms of Russia, sex trafficking around then spiked in the, um, in the event last year. And in Qatar in 2022, um, there are real significant rumours and indications that slave labour is being built, used to build those stadiums. Um, that men are being tricked um, and trafficked and moved into Qatar on the promise of false work. Um, and they are being um, used to build the stadiums and paid way below minimum wage of anything. Um, but their passports have been taken off them and so they have no choice. Um, so we do see um, examples of trafficking and slavery a lot, um, just in ways that we've probably never ever thought of, but traffickers do. Um, um, but in terms of a global map, um, estimates again, estimates, um, all I can give you are estimates family, but estimates kind of show that probably about half of those in some kind of slavery are a couple of hours away from us in Asia. And the nice little red bit right there. Um, yeah, 30 million. Okay. Um, and finally, um, what does it actually look like for, for those that um, have been through this? So, uh, I'm not talking about a small issue. I'm talking about something that is a wave of darkness that is actually sweeping our planet at the moment. Um, and, again, an estimate, 40 million people is the amount of people they reckon are in some kind of slavery right now. Granted, not all of them have been trafficked. Um, remembering our push-pull factors, um, some parents actually sell their kid into, into slavery. Um, so not all of the 40 million have been sold, um, have been trafficked, but about half of them have. And these are people just like the people that you thought of, just like Abby, just like me, just like you, um, that are in these kinds of situations. So as you see from the pie chart, hopefully, um, so breaking down that 40 million, what does that actually look like? Um, we have about approximately 15.4 million in forced marriages. So these are girls um, who have been tricked um, and sold and forced to marry. 
um, which comes with a lot of issues around um, forced rape and all of that kind of thing. But essentially they have been sold into marriage and they haven't gotten to choose their marriage partner. Um, so that's 15.4 million. Um, if you look at exploited for labour, so that's forced labour situations. So that's the likes of the men who are building the stadium in Qatar at the moment, um, who um, you know, are getting paid well below, if anything, in terms of income. Um, but it's also situations of children, you know, children who are going down the mines to mine the coltan that we use in our cell phones. Um, or to, I've seen video footage of a young girl, and she, her job every day was to pull the plastic off syringes that had been used, um, the plastic tubes. Um, so forced labour, it takes many a different form, but essentially it is forced labour, um, and obviously the, the captors receive the income and the, their savings in terms of expenses, but that looks different for, for everyone. Um, and then the little grey bit, that's state-imposed, so that's not, that's not trafficking, that's in situations where countries actually force the occupants um, into slave-type situations. But that little, the orange one, um, this is 4.8 million um, women and children um, who at the moment are in some kind of sexual exploitation. So these are women who are in the brothels. Um, these are the kids that are in the pens that Western men travel to. to yep. Um, and, and I've heard, <laughs> heard stories um, that you, the, the girls are as young as four. Okay. So, uh, so 25% of the 40 million are children. Um, and so, and we do see examples of children in the sexual industry, um, again, because of the demand for it. Um, but I have, I've heard, um, in the organisation I work with, we've had stories of four-year-olds. Um, yeah. So, <laughs> um, so the majority of these people will um, have been moved across borders. So they'll be in foreign countries where they don't know the language. Some of you may be thinking, okay, well, why don't they just leave? It's a very good question. Um, so they're in foreign countries. Um, so they don't know the language. They don't know where they are, some of them. They, um, they have had their passports taken off them. So how do they get back if they don't know where they are and they've got no money? Um, some of them will be, have been told by the traffickers that they will go and kill their family if they don't cooperate. And you have to realise that for some of the like, girls and women in particular where the traffickers have actually come to their village um, and talked to their family and moved them from their village, that's a very real threat because they do actually know. They actually know where they live. Um, we um, have oh, those who are in the orange sexually exploited slavery. Um, they, it is very likely that they've enjoyed some endured, endured some kind of conditioning experience, um, which essentially is the captive's, captor's way of ensuring that he destroys her soul, which is the point. When they first come and they're fighting and they're battling and they're really, really um, unsubmissive, the threat, um, the objective in that season is to break them and to destroy their will to live and to fight. And so they'll go through what is called a conditioning experience um, where the girls will be locked up in rooms and gang raped and left alone and really, really, really destroyed until they lose the will to live. Um, and that's when they're moved out to start working. Um, some of them may have been branded with a number. 
which is an attempt by pimps and captors uh, to remind them that they are now owned and that they're an object. Um, I encourage you to look that up too. Um, and then in terms of some, some of them may have been told that they've got a massive debt for travel that they now have to pay off. So hopefully you are capturing a glimpse of how complex this is, how real it is, um, and that for those 40 million people re represented by that very simple pie chart, each of them are like us, and that they are truly, truly stuck. Their vulnerability, which wasn't necessarily because of anything that they've done, has been exploited, they have been moved or tricked, and their situation is now one where they are stuck and they actually can't do anything about it. And they are waiting for someone or something to come and to save them. Um, so I thought I would share some stories with you to put some faces um, and names to those statistics because I know that that's a lot. That's a lot. Um, so one of the stories I wanted to share with you this morning was of um, a young girl who will call Hoang and... Her, um, she came from a very rural village in Vietnam, okay? So central Vietnam in the rural village had no concept of human trafficking. Um, um, and so she, um, so and a poor family. So we're talking underdeveloped rural Vietnam. I'm trying to set the scene. No concept of human trafficking. Um, a woman from a nearby village came to her and said, oh, I can get you a job in a major city, all right? And so to her, that is an exciting opportunity. For her, that is, yes, I can earn money to support my family. Um, you know, I won't be unemployed. I can help provide and help my family to have a better life than what they've currently got. And so she was excited by the opportunity, and she willingly went, um, as most of us would. Um, and it turns out that she didn't end up going to a major city in Vietnam. She ended up getting uh, moved across the border into China um, to be sold as a bride. Um, and her, she managed she managed to actually contact her parents um, before the marriage took place and tell them what had happened. And her parents told her that she had no choice but to stay. Um, in Vietnam, in Asia... Again, complex social issues. There is a lot of stigma around trafficking. There's a lot of stigma around divorce. And so for her, um, and in that situation, they told her they, that she had to stay. And so with no way of getting home, she had to marry him um, and really just hope that their marriage was going to be a good one. And she, um, she <laughs> it wasn't. Um, so he was a real um, violent man. And he, his attempt essentially to make her submissive and to get her over her homesickness, because she's 18, um, was to beat it out of her. And so he would beat her regularly. Um, after, he took, after she had her first kid, um, he did take her back to Vietnam to see her parents, which made her more homesick, which made him more angry, which made him beat her more. Um, and so by the time that she had her second kid, um, she was just desperate to get out. Desperate to get out. Um, but her, kid, her second child was too young. She, and, um, and so she made the inner resolve that when her, old, her youngest child could walk, that's when she'd try and make an escape. 
um, which she did after nine years. Um, she managed to escape after her husband went away one weekend. Um, and she walked back to Vietnam, having memorised the route from before. Um, but you imagine the state that she's in, you know, after being tricked and trafficked. Um, that's traumatic enough. Um, and then having her parents tell her that she couldn't come home. And then being violently beaten and abused for nine years, what that does to you as a person and as a woman um, and to your sense of self-worth and your sense of person, it is catastrophic. Um, another story um, is of a young um, girl called Hoa, um, and she was also from Vietnam. And when Hoa was young, her dad was in a motorbike accident, and her mum, at the same time, around the same time, got cervical cancer. And so, in Vietnam, if you do not work, you do not eat. There's no such thing as the benefit. Um, and so, Hoa and her sibling, they decided that they would, um, they would go out to work to be able to provide for their family because their parents actually physically couldn't. And Hoa got a job in a restaurant and, um, and she became friends in this restaurant with an older woman um, who developed the friendship to such a degree that Hoa started to call her sister. Okay, So this is a really, well, she thought it was a really deep friendship. And you imagine what's going on in her life in terms of what's going on at home with her mum being sick and her dad being unwell. To have this support by this older woman and this friendship would have been valuable to her. And this older woman later on down the track told Hoa, oh, I know someone in Singapore who, um, who can get you a job doing nail art. And Hoa had always had a bit of a creative edge. And so she thought, whoa. Like, what an amazing opportunity to, for me to be able to go over to Singapore to do something that I have a natural interest in um, that and to earn more money for my family um, so that I can, you know, provide more. And so, what a, so she leapt at the opportunity. Um, but she didn't end up in Singapore. She ended up in Malaysia and she ended up in a brothel um, where she serviced 15 to 20 guys a day. Um, and that brothel owner worked her um, until she actually physically couldn't do it anymore. Um, and so she got um, tuberculosis and AIDS and was, not AIDS, HIV, um, and legitimately just got cast out of the brothel onto the streets when she couldn't do it anymore and when she was on the point of death. She was that sick. Um, and that story, she managed to get back to Vietnam but the thing that, I read these stories a lot in my job, um, but I remember Hoa's story. And the reason I remember that one is because she's my age. And I think about how different my life is to hers. I think if I was in her situation and my dad, John, had been in a motorbike accident, well, in a boating accident, let's make it realistic. If he'd been, if he'd been in a boating accident... Um, and my mum had gotten cancer, and Abby was going hungry, I would have left school and gone to work. I would have done that. And so would all of my other sisters. That's just what we would do. And if I had been offered an opportunity overseas to earn more money to support my family, I would have done that. 
And so that story, it stirs me because legitimately the only thing that separates us is where we've been born. Um, and Bono has this, this amazing quote that he says, where you live should not determine whether you live or die. Yet, that is the reality um, that I get to have and enjoy life and to live with freedom and choice, yet she didn't for so long. And the research indicates that 50% of those who are in slavery, like I've said, are only a couple of hours away. She's exactly the same as me. She was just born in a different place. That is the difference. Um, and so why should we care about this church? Why should we care about it? Um, and why as Christians and people who have discovered and are in relationship with God, should we care about this? And the answer is, is really simple to me. And it's because he asks us to. God asks us to care. And granted, to my knowledge, nowhere in the Bible does it say, thou shall do all they can to stop human trafficking and slavery. If it does, all the more credit to what I'm saying. Um, but, but if you think about it, if you think about it, the entire plot line of the Bible is of the ultimate rescue mission. It's of people who were lost, um, getting found, and receiving freedom and being saved. It's of love being shown to vulnerable people. It's of light penetrating darkness. And this is darkness. Um, and in one of my one of my favorite scriptures, I think, is John 10:10. 10, 10. And it says, you know, the devil comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. But I come so that we may have life and have it in abundance. And this, this issue that I have presented to you, this is the devil seeking to kill and to destroy, and he is succeeding. The territory that he is taking in this issue is significant. But that as Christ's hands and feet, as light bearers, as people who know him and represent him, we are called um, to do what we can to help these girls who the devil has attacked um, to live life abundantly. Um, and to live, to live. Um, so, what can we do? Um, what does response actually look like? What does it actually look like to respond to this, to take the territory back and to claim authority in God's name and to make a difference in this? And um, I, as people in relationship with Christ, it's important that always, always, that we look to the example that he sets us. And he has set us an example. Um, in Genesis 16, uh, we meet Hagar, um, who was Abraham and Sarah's maidservant. And it is God's treatment of her that um, we should model our response off, um, in my opinion. So we're all, most of us will be well familiar with the story in that um, Abraham and Sarah were promised um, babies in a great nation. Um, and but at a point of, of weakness and doubt, um, Sarah offered um, her maidservant, Hagar, um, which is very significant, significant because it's the first slave in history that we know the name of. Um, so offered her maidservant to Abraham um, in pursuit of fulfilling this promise in another way. Um, and Hagar did get pregnant 
And the Bible says that when she got pregnant, Sarah got horrifically jealous and treated her badly. So badly that Hagar fled into the desert. Um, And um, an angel of the Lord then finds Hagar by a spring of water in the wilderness. And he talks gently with her. And she later says in verse 13, Then she called the name of the Lord who spoke to her, You are the God who sees. For she said, Have I also here seen him who sees me? And I just love that we serve a God who sees us. And it is this um, beautiful passage and all that it entails that we can receive our first instruction in terms of how we can respond to the darkness that I'm presenting in that each of us can strive to see um, and to know and to make an effort to see those who are actually in their own equivalent life deserts um, and to do something about it. Um, now, I, um, <laughs> the, the founder of World Vision, um, Bob Pierce, he famously prayed, let my heart be broken with the things that break the heart of God. And he prayed that regularly and he prayed it earnestly. And I would like to en- encourage each of us as something we can all do in response to this today, to pray that prayer regularly and earnestly too. To pray that God would break our hearts for what breaks his and that we would seek to see his children elsewhere. I don't know about you, but I can sometimes get very stuck in my own little world. Um, I can go about my daily routines. I can go to work during the week. I can have family dinner night. I can have cell group. I can have my sister hang times. I can have my friend times, if I'm lucky. God times, exercise, church, repeat. It's like, you know, and is weak. Um, And... I can go quite a substantial amount of time without thinking about anyone else other than myself or those that are directly in my world. Um, And our media, it helps us um, on our narrow track as well um, and having a narrow worldview. And that advertising, it is all about us and what makes our lives easier and what makes us feel good. And our news and our papers prioritise local stories and dramas. The amount of times the breaking news on stuff has been over something ridiculous, like Damien McKenzie having a leg injury. Granted, that is devastating. But it's not breaking news on our media. It really isn't. But the fact that that's what stuff registers as breaking news to us tells us something about us. Um, Do There's a saying in news circles around the world, that one dead fireman in New York gets the same amount of news coverage as 500 dead Africans. And you think about that, how true that is. You look at the papers and on the way that the media is positioned, it is all positioned to keep us thinking about what's going on in our world right here. And it is a subtle strategy on the devil's behalf to keep us thinking Locally. Now, I advocate for the local. Support acts. I am not disregarding thinking locally. Um, But what I am saying is that we, as well as thinking about our church's role locally, we should be thinking about our church's role globally as well. Um, And so, I really, um, a World Vision leader once said that we too must see the suffering in the world through the eyes of a grief-stricken father gazing at his children in pain. 
Yet the devil has subtle things in place to keep us thinking locally and opposed to joining God and thinking and seeing globally. God's newspaper gives equal weighting to all of his kids in all of his countries. And we should try to do the same. We should try and review having a global perspective um, and seeing what's going on outside our world. And so I really encourage you, scroll to the world section of stuff next morning tea break. You have to scroll a bit, but scroll down. Um, And, you know, read, make an effort to find the news that is there but is not automatically put in front of you. Be active. See the world and importantly remember that those who make up the facts and figures that are presented are people just like those that you thought of, people just like Abby, just like us, um, who are just in a different place. That is all that is different about them. Um, Ask Nay or Jeanette or Arlene um, and Monet to come over for dinner and get them to talk about Iraq and about Thailand, and about South Africa, and what is going on in those countries. You know, we have such a depth of knowledge and international knowledge here in this church. If you want to know more about this issue, I'm a friendly person. Um, You know, but if you, like, seek to get to know the people here in our church family who know about the issues that are going on in our world, um, and seek to understand and to know and grass, yeah, grassroots knowledge about the world is right here in this room. So make the most of it. Um, research the area of trafficking and slavery more. Find groups that are working in the space. Sign up for fa- Facebook and emails and newsletters and read the newsletters when they come. Um, but seek always um, to inform yourself and to become better acquainted and to have an increased knowledge. But ultimately... Ultimately, let's actively and consciously seek to look outside our immediate spheres um, and pursue seeing the world and joining God in his global perspective. Seek to see the world as he does and his children as he does and to pray that your heart will break in alignment with his. So we see and then what? Um, so in Genesis 21, um, Hagar is again in the desert after fleeing from Sarah for good. This time she has Ishmael with her and they are so close to death that she puts him under a bush and walks away because she can't bear to see him die. And scripture says, then she went and sat across from him at a distance of about a bow, bow shot. But she said, let me not see the death of the boy. So she sat opposite him and lifted her voice and wept. And God heard the cry of the lad. Then the angel of God called Hagar out of heaven and said to her, what ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad and hold him with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. And here it is, folks. I I believe like our call to action in that as well as seeing and knowing and seeing the world as God sees it and seeing his kids and our brothers and sisters the way that he does, that we are called to do what we can to lift them out of their situations as well. It's one thing to see and to know, and that's important, but it's also really important that you take that next step and you seek to do what you can to lift them out, just like God did for Hagar in this situation. Um, And so what that looks like for each of us is different 
Some of you um, may be called to pray and to pray earnestly for breakthrough, um, especially with regards to demand for these services. Um, you know, those men in the West who are traveling to Asia um, for sex with children, they just need to meet Jesus. They just need to encounter him and meet him and fall in love with him and receive his love and get to know him and what he has done and to experience his breakthrough. They just need to meet him. <laughs> and so pray, pray that those guys who are struggling with this, that there will be people in their lives and in their communities who God will just stir up and will be able to sow seeds and will get them to church and they can meet Jesus and encounter him and have their lives transformed. Let's pray for that, that our global church will be effective in addressing this demand. Um, some of you may be able to give financially. Um, so there are so many awesome NGOs that are working in this space. There are organisations that are seeking to train air hostesses. You know, they acknowledge that a lot of human traffickers are taking um, women and children on planes to totally different countries. And so trafficking planes is one key way of the movement. And so there are organisations that are training airline pilots to, to um, see what the signs are and to, what to do about it if they see someone who is perhaps maybe getting trafficked. Um, there are awesome organisations who are doing rescues, actually rescuing people out of these situations. There are organisations who are um, working in the legal space, you know, who are taking um, traffickers and people involved to court and prosecuting them. Um, the organisation that I work for, called Hagar, we provide recovery services for women and children who have been, um, who have survived these kinds of situations. So the two stories of the two women that I shared with you, um, those are women that Hagar has worked with and done the recovery journey with. Um, because as I'm sure you can understand, you know, surviving these kinds of situations is traumatic. They are traumatic, life-defining um, experiences, and if you don't deal with them, if you don't get the help that you need, they can define your life forever, even if you have escaped. The trauma can continue with you. Um, and so that's what the organisation I work with, what we do. Um, but there are so many organisations working in this space, doing great work um, and in ministry, who need financial help to be able to continue to do it. And so I just really encourage you, you know, if, this, if these stories, if they stir you um, and you have a little bit of financial capacity in the little bit of the little bit that Alex was talking about after you've done Transcend, um, if you have financial capacity to maybe be able to help physically finance those people on the ground who are helping lift them up, I really encourage you to do some research, ask God what organisation within this he would have you support. Um, but yeah, there are NGOs who are actively on the ground fighting and they need support and they need financing. Um, and I encourage you today to consider equipping them and joining them in that. Ultimately though, those are just two suggestions. Ultimately, just ask God what it is that he would have you do. He will tell you. <laughs> um, so I really, really encourage you, ask him in your next really good prayer time. Ask him, you know, what would you have me do to lift people out of these situations, God? What would you have me do to help your children in these situations? And wait for him to talk to you. 
Um, there's, I had a meeting on Friday with um, a guy over in New Brighton, and he's man on the running. He just ran 100 k's through the South Island. And he was thinking about, you know, how he was in a season where he wanted to use his running, not just for him, but to raise support for, for Hagar as well. And so he's running, um, running a running fundraiser, where essentially he's going to run 5K on the hour for 24 hours. So from 6 p.m. on Friday to 6 p.m. on Saturday, every hour on the hour he's going to run for 5K. Um, and he's going to try um, and raise financial support for Hager and other organisations working in this space by doing that. Now that story for me is just awesome because he's doing something that he already loves to do, um, that he's already naturally good at, that God has already given him a talent for, and he's simply um, using that um, for a very powerful and beneficial way. And so I really encourage you, yes, pray, absolutely, um, because there is breakthrough in prayer. And absolutely, if you can, give and equip. But ask God what it is that he would have you do as well. And if there's something in your world that you could apply to this um, and use. Um, he is the ultimate creative thinker. You don't have to come up with the ideas. You just have to listen to him. Um, so, if my eight people would like to stand. Um, so, assuming I've been talking for about Eight, no, 40 minutes. Um, eight, while I've been standing up here, while I've been standing up here, eight girls and women, um, <laughs> um, eight girls and women have been sold into sexual slavery. Um, there's a saying that one person every 27 seconds is sold into some kind of slavery. So while I have been talking with you and talking to you about this issue today, there have been eight girls just like the one standing, who have entered the orange quadrant, who have entered sexual slavery. Um, and these are girls, just like these ones, just like these ones, um, who have just been born into a different place, um, who have amazing destinies and amazing gifts and amazing talents, just like we all know for these eight. You know, we see them and we love these eight. Um, they're a part of our family. The girls, the eight girls who have ended sexual slavery while I've been talking are just like these ones. Um, they are cherished and adored by God. Um, if I have everyone who's in line with the white stand up to, the white thingy, what's this called? Everyone this way. So assuming that there's 88 of you, in that quadrant, that's the total amount of people who have entered some kind of slavery while I've been speaking today. Um, this issue, it is prevalent. It is key territory that the devil is taking. Um, and I just, <laughs> my heart breaks for it um, because they're people just like us. And so I really, really encourage you today, um, as the band is playing, um, ask God to break your heart for what breaks his. Um, seek to see and ask him what he would do, what he would have you do to lift them out and to, and to restore life. Restore life and to see these girls returning to living a life in full abundance. Um, yeah, thank you.